In a few moments we'll be in Acts chapter 18. If you take your Bibles and turn there, we'll read together for in a few moments. Tonight we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Acts. And um, I, I did not uh, preach through all of Acts 17, although I will do a very brief overview uh, to catch us up. We missed a week. And then Brother Daniel uh, mentioned really the last events of, of Acts 18. And so, so we're not really doubling up. I'll, I'll do, for those who really keep copious notes, um, I'll be doing an overview for those who are, you know, have to have all the verses covered. So let's get to it tonight. As you stand, I'll probably need most of my time this evening. And we do have some prayer requests we want to mention tonight. So, in general, Paul's on his second missionary journey. He's probably at the halfway point, maybe just slightly past that. And so he is uh, moving into uh, new territory there in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. So we'll begin our reading in verse number 1 of the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. And after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, this is the emperor of Rome, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, this would have been Aquila, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And of course, so was the apostle Paul. They were leather workers. And he reasoned in the synagogue, Paul, every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, um, because they were left in a city to finish some work there, um, and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews uh, very pointedly that Jesus was Christ. And when they, the Jews, opposed themselves and blasphemed, he took or shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he's speaking specifically in this area. And he departed thence and entered to a certain man's house named Justice, served as a host, and one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. He said, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. We'll stop there. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much, um, Lord, for the instruction and the insight Lord, into the Word of God, Your truth, and Lord, this history that, Lord, we know um, has application and bearing on our life. And so tonight, as we consider this incredible second missionary of the Apostle Paul, and Lord, all the exploits and the way You used him, Lord Silas, Luke, and Timothy, Lord, I, I pray that we would see that, Lord, as You worked in their lives, and through those principles, that, Lord, You want to work those same principles and truths into our life. And so I'll ask for help in making that application in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. Paul's about halfway through, uh, here actually more than halfway through, coming to chapter 18. 
into his second missionary uh, journey. His first journey included the island of Cyprus and then sailing across the Strait of the Mediterranean toward a part of what we call Galatia, the port there, Perga. And guys, if we had the first slide, I, I think I just have two tonight. Uh, if you get those up, I just want to do a brief review of where we have been. So I have a pointer, and this may or may not work, we'll see. And it works. So on par Paul's first missionary journey, he started really here in Antioch, if you guys see this far. And he sailed over here into Cyprus, and they ministered the entire like the island. And they sailed across this strait here of the Mediterranean uh, into this region where you see Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and this is uh, Basidia, Antioch. So Paul really concentrated his journey here the first time, and then he came back this way, of course, back to Antioch, down to, to Jerusalem. And that was Paul's first missionary journey, fairly localized in Cyprus and the regions of Galatia. As you can see on the map, he traveled to Antioch, and this was the Antioch that was in Galatia, not the Antioch in Syria, and then to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. There's something that's important to understand, at least we see these things. In every place that Paul went, he really never received a warm welcome. Um, there were people who were saved everywhere Paul went, but as a whole, he was met with resistance. And sometimes even more than resistance, he was met with direct, violent confrontation. In Lystra, um, Paul was actually um, stoned. The intent was to stone him to death. The people who did that left thinking he was probably dead. But saints gathered around Paul there in Lystra, and they prayed for him. And I don't know what kind of miracle was done there, a miracle of some sort, because after stoning, he got up and he walked away. Whether he was not yet dead and revived or dead and revived, the miracle is pretty much the same. Uh, Paul touched his body, and Paul got up, and, and he continued his missionary journeys, and he was recovered. To me, this is fascinating. So Paul goes to these areas of Galatia. And he gets to the terminal point there, I think, in Derby. <laughs> now, this is what I just said. In every city he faced, you know, opposition. And there in Lystra, he was almost stoned to death. And so what did he do? He went right back to the places that he was one more time to help confirm those churches and made his way back. I know what you call that. That's incredible faith and courage. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. And so he made his way back to Antioch, which is really his home base. But from there he traveled back to Jerusalem and there they met in council where Paul talked about how the Gentiles were saved and that generated some questions, well what obligations lay on the, on the Gentiles in terms of being saved? And there was some discussion there that they needed to be Judaized in some way and Paul said, no, a man is saved by grace through faith and that alone. Let's not put that, any of that legal stuff on them. They all agreed. Uh, Peter and James stood up and said, that's not the way it's going to work. Paul's right. And so they came to this agreement that people are saved by grace through faith, which is great theology. But they did ask the, the Gentiles who were saved to show some deference to the Jews who are actually weaker in their faith because those saved, they were struggling with the law. And they still felt some obligation to keep the law. And, and so this council said, hey, when you go back, I want you to teach these people to show deference, to be good Christians because there's people around you who are of faith, but they're weaker there. And you don't want to cause them to stumble by the things that you have freedom to do. And so that teaching was uh, given to the Gentiles in what would become Paul's secondary, uh, second journey in just a while. So this instruction was given of deference and to keep themselves from immorality as well. And so after a sabbatical of some time in Antioch, Paul determines to go back to Galatia. And so he 
lets uh, his former partner, Barnabas, know that's what he wants to do. And then this contention arose between them. Because in the first journey, John Mark abandoned them between Cyprus and Galatia. We don't know the reason for that abandonment, but he did. And so Paul couldn't get over it. He thought he was a liability. Barnabas said, nah, he's a good young man. He needs a second chance. And so the two men just agreed to disagree, and they went in opposite directions. And so Barnabas uh, and John Mark went to Cyprus. Uh, and then, guys, put that map up again. And so those two guys, and you can just keep it up if you want to, Peter. Uh, so those two guys went from Antioch down here, and this is where uh, Barnabas and John Mark were. But on the second journey, as you can see here, Paul asked a man named Silas, who was a helper in, in the early church, recognized there in Jerusalem. And so they went the land route this time through Syria and down here towards Derby, and they, and they went back to the same area of Galatia again. Uh, to begin to confirm the churches, I guess, just establish the churches that had been uh, started. And so they did. Well, while Paul's in Galatia, he's really wanting to go um, down here into this region, down here to Ephesus and in this region. This would have been a major trade route, uh, major cities. But what happens here, when, when Paul's up here in this region, um, he's trying to go this way and this way, but God speaks to him. And he speaks to him in the vision. We know this is the Macedonian call, where the man says, come and help us. So, this side now, the Apostle Paul, I'm just trying to be equitable in the laser light. And so, the Apostle Paul, being in this region, he wants to go this way, God says no. He wants to go this way, and God says no. So, he says, well, he's just going to go on through the, the northern part of, of Asia. And so, he goes across here and to Troas. And somewhere in this journey, he collects two more notable figures who help in his journeys. Of course, one is Timothy, and the other would be Luke. And of course, Luke is the writer of Acts. And so, we, and Luke was a physician and very educated, and then so too is the language of the book of Acts. And so, now we have at least these four men traveling together as companions as they begin to go into Macedonia. And of course, we know what happens there. So, from Troas, they go across, and this, this little part of the ocean here, we call this the Aegean Sea. And so they go across here to Neapolis, they land in that port, and then Brother Daniel talked about the, um, um, the road. I have it somewhere, I don't remember. Um, it'll come to me anyway. There's an ancient Roman road here that traveled really all the way from Neapolis um, and all the way really across uh, Macedonia into Italy. And uh, they, they traveled that road into Philippi. Not be a synagogue in Philippi. There wasn't enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. So Paul heard that people met down by the river uh, to worship God. And this would have been mostly what they called uh, God-fearing um, Gentiles. And there were some Jewish women there. So Paul goes to the, that river, the place Daniel showed us on Sunday night. And Paul begins to preach. And then a very notable figure is saved, a lady named Lydia. And she was a silver purple. She was a, our garment maker. She was a lady probably of some means. She had a very large house. And we know in time uh, that the church in Philippi was really started in her house. And what a thing to be noted for, you know, because Philippi is the most beloved of all churches. And so the Lord used this initial uh, salvation in really all of uh, Macedonia, Greece, to begin to bring the gospel to us in a point again that Brother Daniel made. And, and, and so, uh, the Ignatian Road. I actually found it in my notes, which I'm vaguely following. And so, again, Lydia was saved. Uh, uh, a church was started in her home. And in an uprising in Philippi, which is very notable, 
Um, Paul and Silas are beaten again. This will be the second major time Paul is beaten. They are placed in that jail there, put in prison. We know the story. God delivers in a fantastic way. The jailer is saved. Uh, there's a couple of people there mentioned in that chapter that are saved. And so um, they're set free and they travel on to Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, and all this is in chapter 17, as Paul always did, he began to preach in the synagogue. And if you want to follow along, it's in chapter 17, verse 2. He began to preach to the Jews. And in verse 3, he was pressed, and the Bible says really he preached Christ, that Christ suffered and died and rose again. And the Bible says in verse 4 of that chapter that some believed, both Jew and Greeks, and a larger contingency of women. And that's probably true today, that women have a softer heart and more open to the gospel than men. In verse 5 of that chapter, the Bible says, but the unbelieving Jews, and the unbelieving Jews, this would be most likely the religious elite, they, they always had antagonism against the Apostle Paul. And so in Thessalonica, they rise up, they create a, a big disturbance. They, get, they, 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 they grab the guy, I think his name was Jason, who hosted the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, and they brought him into custody. They, they queried him, they wound up letting him go. And knowing that trouble's coming from the Apostle Paul, the brethren, there in Thessalonica said, you got to get out of town. And so he, he did. And so he travels on to a city called, that we would know this city, Berea. And here for the first time, the Bible speaks of the Bereans as these people were more noble. These were, these were Bible readers. And so as Paul's preaching, these people will say, well, before he cast judgment on your message, let's compare what you're saying with the Old Testament. And they begin to do that. And so a larger contingency of people are actually saved in Berea. And Paul most likely would have stayed there for a longer time. But the guys who are causing trouble in Thessalonica went out of their way to leave Thessalonica and they traveled to Berea. And they're chasing him. They're harassing him. And so they travel uh, down the road here, down the coast. And so they go from Thessalonica and they follow him down to Berea. And if that matters to you where it's at, we're talking about this region right here. Philippi is there down here is Thessalonica and a little far over is Berea. And they follow him down and they create a riot there. Um, the majority of places Paul went, uh, a riot was created by the unbelieving Jews. So in verse 14 of that chapter, Paul is sent away again. Now here, and this will help you understand 18, Silas and Timothy stayed. So Paul couldn't stay because he was being chased out of these cities, but evidently Silas and Timothy were incognito enough, had not been identified as major, major instigators, that they could stay behind. And so Paul, again, has to leave the city and travels to Corinth. And so he and evidently Luke travel on to Corinth uh, Silas and Timothy stay behind, and as we go into chapter 18, as he goes into Corinth, for some interim time they stay, and they're traveling now to rejoin the group with Timothy, I'm sorry, with Paul in Corinth. And um, so we're getting close to where we're at in our text. So um, I'm sorry, from, he didn't go to Corinth, he went to Athens, and that's where they rejoined forces. And that's really whether Daniel's sermon last Sunday night, or at least a devotional thought, that from Thessalonica and Berea down into Athens, Paul preached the famous sermon on Mars Hill. Uh, some were saved. For most, most part, they were dismissive of the Apostle Paul. And so, um, you know, he, he moved on again to Corinth, 
And so forgive me for, for misspeaking that out of place. And again, Brother Daniel did a great job of bringing some of that uh, to light. And so, um, just give me a second. I want to make sure I, I know where I'm at now. And so Paul travels on in um, to Corinth, and there the group catches up. It's interesting uh, to me, Corinth. Uh, as you can see, I was about to point up there, Corinth is here. And what you can't see, can you go ahead and show me uh, the second slide, guys? So Corinth is here, and as you can see, Rome's up here, and of course Italy. And so we're coming around the Aegean Sea, and then there's a channel that actually goes through here. I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was actually open at that time, or you could have traveled around. So we're really moving to a major trade route here. Um, Corinth is a significant uh, church mentioned in the New Testament. Um, Paul visits here. There are two other visits that we know occurred. Many scholars believe that from Rome he visited a fourth time. There were two letters written to the Corinthian church. Again, there's a reference to a third letter. There is a lot of um, emphasis placed on Corinth. And, um, and again, my guess is that's for a number of reasons. There was a lot of commerce there from Corinth. A lot of people were saved and probably went to the rest of the Mediterranean uh, you know, area. Um, I think maybe Paul stayed there a long time, which I'll get in a moment. It was about a year and a half. Maybe he just needed rest. He still met opposition there, but I think Paul just needed uh, you know, some time to catch his breath. But he stayed, again, for that year and a half. But here's the sadness about Corinth. And we know the story, right? Despite all this investment, three or four visits, at least two letters, um, the church at Corinth is probably the most worldly churches that, was, that we have in the New Testament. I've read books, you know, that's called the, the Corinthian Catastrophe. Um, despite this, Corinth always struggled with worldliness. And, and it could be because of all the pagan rituals and temples that were concentrated in Corinth. But they were a divided church. Remember, I would be of Apollos, I'd be of Paul, I'd be, a, I'd be a Cephas. That was Corinth. They were theologically confused. Uh, they misused the gifts. You see where we get the book of, you know, the, the idea of tongues there. And so they, they had trouble utilizing the gifts. They were selfish. Uh, they, they really abused uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, they struggled with immoral behavior in improper relationships. So there was church discipline in Corinth more than once. And, and here's the way I always like in Corinth. It's like a, a ship. Um, the water of the world got into the Christian ship of Corinth and destroyed it. When our hearts are guarded, um, as long as we keep the water of the world outside, we're not imperiled so much by this world. We're imperiled by the world getting inside our hearts. And, and that's what happened in Corinth. Um, but for tonight, so if you're with me, that's all my, uh, my pretext and catching us up uh, to the actual text tonight. I, I want to look at some thoughts here of some things that happened in Corinth. Three things and then three applications. Number one, when Paul came to Corinth, and, and you see this in the immediate verses of chapter 18, uh, verses 1 and 2, the first thing the Apostle Paul did was make a friend. 
Now, however fierce Paul was in confrontation and in preaching, there was something congenial about Paul. And he makes friends. And, you know, of course, these are all famous friends now because they're people who are named in the Word of God and played uh, notable helps to the Apostle Paul. And these people that he meets first is Priscilla the male and Aquila, uh, his married spouse. And the Bible tells us that they, they were born uh, up here in the regions of Macedonia. I'm not going to look back at the text, but it's right up here in this region outside of Philippi is where these people were born. And um, sometime in their adult life, maybe after they married, they moved over here to Italy. And so this couple grew up here in the Macedonian area, but traveled to Italy to live. Um, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, he got in some quarrel with the Jews, and he expelled all the Jews from the country. And again, for reasons the Bible does not tell, they traveled then from Italy. They probably lived in Rome. They traveled um, across this way, and they landed in Corinth. And, and that makes some sense. You can just kind of see how they, they would maybe do that. This would be a principal city. If you made tents and were a leather worker, that's a good place uh, to make a living. And so what happens is the Apostle Paul meets them. They share the same trade in tent making, and they become friends. I don't know when Priscilla and Aquila were saved. Uh, they could have been saved in this initial encounter with Paul. Most likely they were saved by other Christians carrying the, the gospel over to Rome. Uh, but of course we know that these two people were saved. And so they shared a trade, but in time they shared a heart. And they became very significant friends to the Apostle Paul. And I think they're mentioned a total of six times in the New Testament. And they play a significant role later in the city of Ephesus, where they really make a difference in the Christian community there. And so Paul makes this lifetime friendship from the acquaintance he, he had there in Corinth. He had other friends. But these people became friends as well. The second thing that happened in Corinth, as a whole, the Jews in Corinth um, were less violently opposing the Apostle Paul. There's no riot recorded here. Um, he's not beaten in Corinth as far as we know. But no doubt as he preached, and we know that there was very little uh, reception in Corinth, these people are aggressive. So there's something here, you, you know, we've we got to humanize the Apostle Paul. Everywhere Paul goes, he's obedient, and in grace and courage he preaches the gospel. It creates a riot. He faces opposition. Minimally, twice he has been beaten almost to death. He's been placed in prison, um, and a pattern is emerging. I go to a new place, I face opposition, I get beat up. I preach, I face opposition, I get beat up. So what we, we see happening here um, in this um, is Paul, again, is facing opposition, and, uh, um, and Paul's facing this. And so for a time, you know, Paul has some courage, and he, he keeps doing this. Um, but if you look with me in verse 6, there's something that's interesting that happens. Paul is preaching to these Jews, because as his habit was, he always preached in the synagogues first, and then to the Gentiles, and Gentiles sometimes gathered there. As he's preaching, there, there's something really that stands out here to be different. 
Evidently, because Paul had spent a long time in Corinth, he's preaching to these people more than once. He's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching, he reaches through the Bible, these people hear it. In the other cities, he was there for weeks. Here he's there for a long time. He's preaching. But these Jews would not have it. And so a very descriptive phrase is used here. The Bible says they oppose themselves. And I'll give that a moment. They oppose themselves. And Paul's had it. Now, this doesn't have to mean, you know, if I took off my coat right now and shook it, you'd go, man, that's really weird. But what I mean in Paul's days, I'm finished with you. So if I ever do that, you know, <laughs> the party's over. Um, he took out, you know, shook out his raiment, and, and he says, you know, your blood be on your own heads. You know, we understand the expression, blood's on your hands, because you did something to somebody else. But here, Paul says, your blood be on your own heads. And he says, I'm done with you. It's pretty dramatic. And he says, I'm going to just go talk to the Gentiles, henceforth. But he's, he's talking really just in this area of Corinth. And that's what he did. He just preached to the Gentiles. Now, the third thing that happens, and this gets back, I got ahead of myself again. I have a lot in my head. Through this time of op opposition, of this cycle of speaking and being beat up, um, Paul becomes weary. It's not said in the text, obviously implied. He grows weary and evidently fearful. Okay, does that not make sense to you? If you were constantly opposed and then beat up and left for dead, if you're going into a new place, this again, I, I would be afraid. I think all of us can relate to that. So because of that fear, um, in verse 9 and 10, go ahead and look, look there with me if you would. This spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, be not afraid. And he wouldn't have said that if he wasn't. And, behold, and hold not thy peace, keep speaking. And in these words, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. Now, this wasn't a carte blanche check for Paul never being harassed or hurt, because he already had been. But the idea is he, he wouldn't be physically hindered to the point where he couldn't accomplish his purposes there in Corinth. It is, you're going, to, you're going to be safe enough to keep preaching, but it's going to be scary enough, you need to remember, I'm with you, so don't be afraid. You with me? And so it's like still a scary situation, and, and, and he could have been struck and hit, but he wouldn't be thwarted from carrying out God's purposes because God says a lot of people here, I, I want you to, to continue on in this city because there are people here I, I want to get saved. So three events that we see happening here in Corinth. And that's what I want to use for application um, because these are things that Paul experienced and we're you know, people of flesh like he was and we could experience this too. So very quickly, the three events. Um, and I, I want to kind of title this, um, three things we need to keep on or to keep going or to successfully navigate the Christian life. Okay, so you all with me on that thought? Okay. We're Christians, we're navigating the Christian life. What are three things that um, are involved in this text that you know, can be a help to us as we navigate the Christian life? And I, I think these should be fairly obvious. The first thing we need that the Apostle Paul made provision for throughout all of his journeys 
is that if we're going to navigate life successfully, we, we probably need friends. Right? I'm fascinated um, by the number of people that Paul befriended and then in turn helped the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. You and I, rightly so, we elevate Paul. He is, a, he is the model Christian. I don't know if he would say that, but that's how we view him. But to be fair, holding up his hands, supporting the Apostle Paul, were dozens and dozens of friends. People whom without, Paul could not have accomplished his mission. And I mean that physically. People provided food. People provided shelter. In these two texts, 7 to 18, we, we, there's two men who gave him housing to the imperilment of their own lives. One taken into custody. Um, when we look at this, we see immediately that the two new friends Paul makes are Aquila and Priscilla. And we go on to study they became lifelong friends and fast companions of the Apostle Paul. Between them developed a special bond of affection as they helped him here and then go on to help the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. Evidence is there that they remained friends throughout life in the remainder of the Apostle Paul's ministry. The Bible you know, really rehearses to us a principle that relationship and then a wider fellowship among Christians is important. Um, what we do right now, and I, I'm talking about like right now in this hour, is important. We call this preaching. But I want to submit to you that what you did before this service and what you will do after this service is important too. I, I, I've, I've, as a philosophy, ingrained this in our adult Bible class teachers. I'm sure each of you are wonderful teachers and you have many good things to say. But do not occupy 45 minutes of the time you have with these people for teaching because part of the um, philosophy of the adult Bible class is, is connecting people in smaller groups of fellowship. Many of you have the habit of meeting with people throughout the week or after Sunday. The New Testament in the beginning of the book of Acts and the places emphasizes the, the importance of fellowship, the idea of friendship, and its importance. Take your Bibles if you would, and just very quickly, and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is, this is probably the ultimate friendship text. And the Bible, you know, stops for a moment. And of course, Ecclesiastes is the chapter is better. You know, this is better than that. And much of the proverb has that thinking too. This is better than that. And the Bible makes it very clear. Having a friend is better than not having one. And so, you know, if we look at Ecclesiastes 4, um, verse 9, two are better than one. And the idea here is relationship. Two is better than one. And then in this, there's really kind of this four-part reason for this. Let me just go through this very quickly. Two are better for one because they have a good reward for their labor. Okay, look up here for a second. What's that mean? Well, we all know what synergy is, right? It's the sum is greater than the individual components. And so the idea is this, is that you and me could accomplish what I could do alone and what you could do alone separately. So if I did my best and you did your best and we added them up, that would not be as great as the total is if you and me worked together 
and did something in that and then added it up. There's more reward for labor. More can be accomplished when two people, three people, four people, in our experience here at Eastland, when a church family labors and works together. It's a positive output of, of, of relationship and friendship. He, he goes on to, to say that, for if they fall, the other will lift up his fellow. But then the negative, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. In life, all of us grow weak. We grow weary. We are vulnerable. And we have somebody else there. We are stronger. We are protected. Um, we need someone to lend encouragement to our, to our hearts. Verse 12, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Um, uh, I skipped one, but that means someone has our back. Someone's watching out for us. The one before that is two lie together. You know, they'll have heat. Again, the idea of protection. Uh, you know, we, we can do a whole sermon on these four thoughts, but the idea is this, which is pretty obvious. When you and me, and really there's even a third person, and God's included, we are, in, we are significantly stronger than we otherwise would be. God formed Adam in perfection. He placed him in a perfect environment. How could it get better than perfect plus perfect? And then God's next commentary is this. It's not good that man should be alone. <laughs> he needs a companion. He needs a helper. Um, he needs someone to come alongside. He needs a completer. Amen. He needs someone that's like him, but's not like him. He needs someone equal to him, but's different than him. I'm different than you. You're different than me. I need your difference in my life. I, I need you to see what I can't see in myself. When I'm weak, I, I need you to be strong. And when you're weak, I'd like to be strong for you. And, and I, I want to make this point because... Paul went nowhere alone. I mean, he, minimally, he went with another person, Barnabas, and then Silas. And then really that wasn't enough, so he included, you know, Luke and Timothy. Barnabas took John Mark. They always traveled in, in, in groups and packs. I, I just want to submit to you, we are in the age of social media, of... Um, Meta friends? And never in American history have people been more lonely and alone. The vast majority of adult males do not have a companion anywhere near the relationship of Jonathan and David, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Silas, Luke and Timothy. We're loners. You know, we're lone wolves. We travel alone. We, we think we got it. And I just want to submit to you, you don't. You may make it through life, but here's the, you'll never, you will never accomplish what God intended for you to accomplish alone. Even for Paul, Paul had this great mission for him to accomplish. And all along the way on three missionary journeys and all the way to Rome, help, 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 help. Friend, 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 friend here. And we think we got it and you don't have it. And we're isolated. And all of us are far more isolated than we want to admit. And it takes deliberate action in today's um, world of modernity and city dwelling. You know, we, we don't walk out to the front porch anymore. 
Because we don't have front porches anymore. We have back porches. And then we have them surrounded with the privacy fence. And very few people walk down the street and say, hey, how are you? And I'm great, how are you? And then have any bond. You could have lived where you live for 10 years and you don't know the four people around you. That's modern culture. I want to submit to you, if you want to navigate through life successfully, that is not a good way to do it. It's a dangerous thing to travel life alone. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Comfort one another, edify one another. Why? Because we need it. Romans 16.21-23 um, you know, gives us instruction on people who helped Paul and he commended them. Barn just really quick, there took me three minutes today, two minutes. Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Timothy, Epaphras, Aristarchus, Onesimus, Jason, Sopater, Sosthenes, uh, Trophimus, Tychicus, Lydia, Aquila, Priscilla, Erastus, Dionysus, and that's a short list of the people who are friends with Paul. If he needed that, how much more do we? Paul loved people, people love Paul, and we need people too. The second application we need to make tonight is this. We would do better in navigating life if you and I um, stayed receptive to truth. Let me say it this way, uh, that we did a better job of taking correction. Now, we're not learning from Paul here. We're learning from the negative example of these Jews who opposed themselves. Verse 6, back in uh, our text. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, then Paul said, you know, the blood be upon your own hands. I, I want you to consider this for a moment tonight. Um, Paul speaking truth to you. You, me speaking truth, I'm speaking truth speak truth to you, you oppose it. Okay, what you think you're doing is opposing me. Right? Well, you are, but that's not all you're doing. You're opposing yourselves. <laughs> I'm not just against you. Often in life, we're against ourselves. And we're against ourselves when we won't do business with the truth about ourselves, our plight, our condition, our circumstance, how we act, how we live, what we do, what we don't do. We're opposing ourselves. Um, no one has the power to hurt you more than you. No one. Well, these people have done all this. No one. I've been super, super wronged. Uh-huh. I'm going to, just categorically, no one has the power to hurt you more than you. They can hurt all this they want to. What happens in here is a little bit your choice. We're very often our own worst enemies. We extend all too often invitations to negative things that do us hurt. We hurt ourselves. We limit ourselves when we reject the truth. What truth? Any truth. I study today. Um, I'm preaching. Something said that the Holy Spirit uses to touch your heart. 
and you go, quaint truth, but whatever. Neat thought, cool principle, and it changes you. N not at all. You're opposing yourself. God says, fix that. I will later. You need to apply that, not tonight. You need to get on your knees. You need to repent. You go to that person. You need to fix that situation. You need to work on these things, and you put it off. In principle, you're doing nothing different than the self-righteous uh, Pharisees in Corinth. You're not just opposing what I'm saying, or a friend is saying, or a parent is saying, or your wife is saying. You are not just resisting the truth, you are hurting yourself. And the harm that you have is blood that's come from yourself. If you stand in a bad place, it may be no one's fault but your own. When you reject the truth, you hurt yourself. When we won't listen, we hurt ourselves. Okay? Marriage counseling. You think you've got it. You think you know how it is. Now, what you have is a perspective. You have, you have um, the radiomagnetic spectrum, okay, visible light, all the way to x-rays, uh, infrared. You got that? You know how much of that you perceive? This much. From here to here, and it's here in this room right now. There's the electromagnetic spectrum is filling this room, but you can't see the ultraviolet. You can't see the infrared. Now, there are detectors that can, but we can't without help. So you're hearing your spouse tell you, you're, you're not a good person. Well, yeah, I am. But you're looking at it through this spectrum that you can perceive. Put her glasses on for a second. Oh, he's ugly, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't see it all right. And here's the deal, you're hurting yourself. When you won't listen, you're hurting yourself. People don't vent to vent. There's something there that we, we need to learn to see. And, and I'm telling you, the thing is, we often, we often put, get a glimpse of it. We take the glasses back off because we don't want to deal with it, and we're opposing ourselves. Bible says, be slow, right, to speak, and quick, and James, to hear, because that'll help us. We, we hurt ourselves um, we already have our minds made up. We're we not open-minded. Now, that doesn't mean you can't, not, you know, there's the truth, we, we, it's non-negotiable, but sometimes we need to have more open ears. Okay, let me, let me hear what you have to say and give people a fair hearing before we come to these absolute decisions. Many of these Pharisees held the truth. They just need it clarified. They needed it rightly interpreted to apply it in a different way than they were. Their closed-mindedness kept them from the truth. They know far more law than anyone in this room. They're more morally righteous than anyone here. They had it all decided. But there was this just the way of understanding the truth that they failed. Because they, they wouldn't listen. Is what Paul's saying. You won't listen. I'm done with you. And we hurt ourselves when we just... We're overly dogmatic about things that we could be enlightened on. And then we, we hurt ourselves when we make enemies of those who have different opinions than we do. This happens all the time. 
I don't like what you, I don't like your opinion, so I don't like you. This happens in independent Baptist worlds. You know, I don't like what you're saying, so I don't like you. And we oppose people who have different opinion than us. I'm not talking about doctrine. And these men could disagree with Paul, but they, they didn't have to hate him and hurt him, but they did. The Bible says that when a fool hardens his own neck, he's suddenly destroyed. And often we often do that. When we want to listen, and this is, this is a very quick associated truth, I, I, this, this came to my, my mind. Years ago, I, I was studying um, 1 Samuel about Saul, and this author said, Be careful and trifling with your mentors, because one day they may walk away. I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to listen to you. Okay. I'm trying to be dramatic. A spouse, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. You won't get it, you won't get it, you won't get it. Sometimes things just break. In the case of Saul, his mentor walked away, Samuel. I don't have time, because I've been wordy tonight. But first Samuel chapter 15. <laughs> Saul, don't do that. Chapter 13 14, he did it. Saul, don't do that, he did it. Saul, go utterly to kill the Amalekites. Okay, I'll do it. He partially kills the Amalekites. Takes the king, comes back, I did it. Samuel, what's the bleeding of this sheep I hear? <laughs> and uh, he was done. And God told him to be done. And so that's what he said. The kingdom's going to be written from you. And basically, you go read chapter 15, I'm done with you. And he started to walk away. Literally started to walk away. Um, Saul didn't like it, so he grabs the man of God and rips his cloak. And he says, so is the kingdom rented from you. You need to be careful how stubborn. We need to be careful how stubborn we are. Because the last thing you want is for people to stop saying things to you that you need to hear. We say this, just stop trying to convince me. Or we walk out the door, I'm not going to listen to that preacher anymore. Uh, you know, we're not going to have this discussion ever again. Okay, you may not. And there were, there were your last best opportunity to save that, that mentor who's walking away. And God forbid that God says, I've talked to you about this enough. I've talked to you about this. I've sent a thousand people your way. I've given you all the help and support you needed. You wouldn't take it. Then you're on your own. The Spirit of God will not always strive with man. I know a different interpretation, but the application works. Because don't... There, Saul was finished. And there's a time that God's going to abandon us to the consequences of our choices. Now, all that is digression from the second point, but keep your own blood off your, your own hands. And then finally, I have three minutes. Third thing here is trusting God to do and finish what is hard. I don't know how Paul felt in the moment. I know this. It was significant that God Himself comes and says, Hey, Paul, do what I ask you to do. It's going to take you another year and a half. It's going to be tough, but don't be afraid. I'm with you, and I'll accomplish my purposes through you. Evidently, Paul was wavering. He was wavering. 
God is encouraging Paul to stay the course. Finish the task at Corinth before you move on. A pattern had to be established. It was a hurtful pattern, but I need you to stay the course. God would not have spoken these words to Paul if he were not afraid. There's a point here that you and I can quit on God. We quit on what's right and good. That's why Jesus, Lord, says to us, let us not grow weary in well-doing. In due season we shall reap and we faint not. And the key phrase is in due season. Okay? I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. It's not working, it's not working. The question is, is it right? Is it good? Okay? If it's good and right, then finish it. And leave the results uh, to the Lord. Sometimes, through a season of trial, difficulty and hardship, um, we can quit. Quit on a relationship, a circumstance, and in life. But if you want the reward, you have to keep on. Victory doesn't come to the faint. God comes to us in His due season. And it did for Paul. Great things came from all of Paul's long, really lifetime suffering. And they'll come for us too if we don't quit. Okay? Um, let me ask you to bow your heads with me if you would.